The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Representative Louise Slaughter. Representative Slaughter represents the 25th District in New York State. She is a champion of women's health and safety, public health, and diversity. She co-authored the Landmark Violence Against Women Act, which has reduced cases of domestic violence by 67% since 1994. She was also awarded the Visionary for Women's Health Research Award from the National Institutes of Health. She passed the Genetic Information and Non-Discrimination Act, which has been described as the first civil rights legislation of the 21st century by the late Senator Edward Kennedy. She has fought for government accountability, fair pay, and U.S. manufacturing jobs by working against deceptive free trade agreements. Today, we are going to talk about her work championing the Preservation of Antibiotics for Medical Treatment Act, or PAMTA, which would end the routine use of antibiotics on factory farms and curb the growing threat of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Representative Slaughter is the only microbiologist in Congress. She holds a B.S. in microbiology and a master's in public health. Welcome, Representative Slaughter. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's start out by just explaining to me how you went from a microbiology degree to the House of Representatives. What led you down that path? Actually, it was the environment. We... uh lived happened to live in an area in near Rochester that had the most beautiful woods that had been in one family for generations. And uh, we got it declared a national landmark. It was so unusual. But we couldn't save it, despite the fact that it was the only thing of its kind in the Northeast. The owner decided to build on it. And it was at a time in the 70s when... Uh, uh, the environment was becoming a real issue. The Cuyahoga River caught on fire in Cleveland. People were dying of what they called excess deaths from pollution. And I felt I should run for the county legislature because we had lost this priceless and something we could not reproduce in that forest. So I did and ran three times and won on the third try. Most people wouldn't do that, but I'm pretty persistent, I guess. What led to your interest in antibiotic resistance? It started out when I was um, in the master's program at the University of Kentucky. And shortly after the war, about the only antibiotic we had then, which was used during the Second World War, penicillin. Uh, it was first uh, discovered or found in ni- about 1929. And Dr. Fleming, who did the uh, premier work on penicillin, said that he was afraid that they would, it would be overused and lose its effectiveness. And, of course, other uh, antibiotics have been produced since then, but they are losing their effectiveness. And one of the major reasons is that 80% of all antibiotics, every one of them that are produced in the United States, are fed daily as a prevention. And everybody knows antibiotics are for treatment, not prevention, in the agriculture industry. 
and fed to livestock and poultry every day, not because they're sick, but to try. They live in in some places in some pretty awful conditions. That dirt, uh, unsanitary. Um, it's it's been well documented, and I'm sure that your listeners know what I'm talking about. But it was determined sometime back that if they would just feed them antibiotics every day, perhaps they wouldn't get sick. Well, what we've started to notice in the in around 2006, we first were working on this, was that we were seeing resistant bacteria. One in particular, if I could talk about it for just a minute, Melinda, because I think it's really important to know. Yes, please. There is one bacterium that is so ubiquitous that it's all over everything you see called Staphylococcus aureus. And it was pretty benign. I mean, you got maybe a sniffle every now and then, but healthy people really had no problem with it. And over the years, and through the overuse of the antibiotics that dealt with it, if it needed to be dealt with, it evolved into MRSA, which can kill you now in 18 to 24 hours. Hmm. And it's the antibiotics used in many cases where it were no longer effective. And we're seeing more and more of that. The statistic right now, which we think is greatly underestimated, is that about 23,000 persons die in the United States this right now because of infections that can't be controlled. And it's getting more and more prevalent. Yeah, I think that if you're in a large group and you just ask your audience to raise your hand if you've ever been affected by an antibiotic-resistant infection or if you know someone mm-hmm. who's had one, just about every hand comes up now. Yes, absolutely. There are a lot of hospital infections as well. And it's, it's critical, and we can do more antibiotics, but we need not do that as long as we're going to just throw them away, render them useless in a way that they were never intended to be used. So we introduced this bill, PAMTA, that you referred to, which basically takes eight antibiotics that are really essential for human health and said that they may not be used for animals who are not sick. Now, let me stress again, under our legislation, sick animals will be treated. But what we are concerned about is animals who are treated uselessly and to create the resistant bacteria. Exactly. So we say we take these eight off to save them only for human beings. We cannot get that bill passed. Uh, I, the FDA could do the regulation. They won't. When last I talked to them, that two, two and a half, three years ago, they had given the uh, agriculture producers three more years uh, and saying to me that they thought they would start immediately to cut back on it, but they, there was no indication they would ever do that. All they ever had to say, even the regulations the FDA did put out to give them three more years, said that, of course, if they said they were using them for disease prevention, that that would be allowed. And that's the biggest loophole in the world. Exactly. And we have seen no lessening at all of the amount of antibiotics that have been used. What we are seeing is a very savvy public saying, we don't want to eat that anymore, mm-hmm. and we, we're not going to buy it from you. And that more and more, poultry producers, uh, restaurant chains are saying that they will no longer use uh, a meat that comes soaked with antibiotics and hormones. We um, we hope that's true, and for some of them, they're waiting four or five years to do it, which is not very helpful. Mm-hmm. At the same time, in 2006, the country of Denmark, and they are the largest pork producers on earth, 
decided they would no longer use antibiotics every day. It's been enormously successful for them. They have not seen any increase in infections. Uh, they find that their animals are healthier and happier. Uh, they are kept in pristine conditions and that they live in. Uh, and we have worked also with Germany, and now the EU is getting very much involved in it. And just this year, I've had visits from both representatives from the European Union uh, and also from the House of Lords uh, and the British Parliament, uh, wondering what in the world is wrong with us why exactly. we continue to do this. Yeah. We have over 450 outside groups. I think every consumer group, uh, every uh, uh, scientific group, everyone you can think of just about is, is, is supporting us in what we're doing, as well as many city councils. I think we're up to about 52 that have called on Congress to pass our bill. Uh, but we don't expect any action on it. Uh, I don't want to monopolize this, and so please break in on me. But uh, we are we're very much concerned that uh, this Congress is the one thing they want to do more than anything is to deregulate everything. So to ask to regulate agriculture a little bit on the use of antibiotics, we don't have a chance at all of getting that onto the floor. Unless we can get 218 people to sign discharge petition, we don't have that many people in the House of Representatives yet who have even signed the bill. Although the public is aware of it, obviously the industry is very much aware of it. Movies have been made about it. Mm-hmm. Great documentaries have been produced about it. The rest of the world understands the problem. But the great United States and the agency that's supposed to protect our health, Food and Drug Administration, will not save us. Tell me something, Representative Slaughter. Where are the hurdles? Who is lobbying against this legislation? Is it the meat industry largely? Agribusiness. So... If we as citizens are listening and paying attention to the true disaster that looms if we lose our precious antibiotics, and you've got so many outside groups supporting this legislation already. And countries. And countries. What, yes. what more can we do? Well, we, we, we keep pushing on it. And, and I, what I'm most happy about is I've never seen any issues since I've been in Congress where the public is more aroused about it than their elected representatives. Now, the national PTA, I think, is, is starting to get involved. And, you know, we got support for the bill from the Bar Association of the State of New York. Now, that's really important to me. Right. Uh, that means a lot to the Bar Association. We also presented before the Bar Association in New York City. But you asked me about, about lobbying. Uh, 88% of all the lobbying reports on PAMTA in the 112th Congress were from groups hostile to the regulation. It was 80% in the 113th. But we are uh, encouraged with the 450 organizations and what they're doing. And I'm happy to tell you that when uh, a lot of these companies tell us they are no longer using antibiotics, uh, one of our supporters has told us, a very great scientific group, which I won't name, but everybody would know it, uh, has said that they are developing a method of testing to find out that that's true. Yeah, right. We need to make sure that... an awful lot of strange bedfellows are telling us that they're going to cut out the use. Right. I hope it's true. I I don't want to be cynical about it. 
that's hard enough to deal with FDA, not to be cynical. Yeah, I think we've taken for granted how these antibiotics have really extended our lives. And I think so we we take them for granted and then we let these safety precautions slide. But I think one of the reasons probably agribusiness is opposed is that they would have to change, which they see dollar signs, but they would have to change the way animals are raised, wouldn't they? Yes. They'd have to be raised in sanitary conditions. Right. And that's important. The FDA has really even allowed, or, or the Agriculture Department, has allowed the, the increase of chickens that are going through for inspection to go through at 175 a minute. Oh, yes. That's, you can't even see them going by that fast, as far as I'm concerned, much less inspect them. And the process, we had a, a young a, a food inspector from upstate New York, 39-year-old man who uh, died on the floor of the... Uh, the room where he was doing the inspecting, and when his lungs bled out because of the chemicals that he was breathing. And after those chemical baths are all there, the last thing that they do, according to a story in the Washington Post, is dip it into Clorox water. And then uh, then it gets wrapped in, in cellophane and sent to the supermarket. Oh, my. Yeah. So that's what's for dinner. Exactly. Well, let me remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned in to Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined today by Representative Louise Slaughter. She represents the 25th District in New York State. She is a true champion of many areas in public health, but the one that we're focused on today is the preservation of antibiotics for the Medical Treatment Act. And you've been working on this for how many years, Representative Slaughter? We first started uh, when Sherrod Brown was in the House. He and I put this in together about 97, 1997. We did PAMTA, moved it over to PAMTA, we changed, uh, and we've been at it since. We had already filed the bill before we heard from Denmark around 2006. Uh, that was about the time when they, they had, had changed their use of antibiotics for some time and it already had their results. Mm-hmm. And they've been enormously helpful. And as I mentioned, uh, the gentleman from the House of Lords, he was the top economist, I think, for Goldman Sachs, as I understand it, in uh, London. Uh, and uh, Cameron, David Cameron, asked him to write a paper on the antibiotic resistance. And he was so startled, I think, about what he found. And he came over to the United States, and we had a, had a good meeting about it. We've got allies all over the world, people who know what this means and what's happening. And i it's been a long, long time since I've had chicken. Yeah. I sure would love to be able to get back to that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the opposition that I have come across always says we need more data. It's almost no, like, well, right? Do you hear well, this as well? That, you know, that's not a bad thing. There, but the fact is that Jackson uh, and I have tried to pass legislation requiring more data be collected, and we never get them on the floor either. Hmm. Uh, we haven't gotten those passed, but the FDA could do it. Yeah. All they have to do, and the Department of Agriculture could say, we, we need this data here. You know, yeah. But it's very disconcerting to know that I, I grew up in, you know, working in microbiology, that I thought that the FDA was actually the gold standard, but I know now that it is not. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way, and it's so disappointing. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about 
Some of the relationships with the other agencies, so for example, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they too have come out with pretty powerful statements recognizing. Yes, indeed they have. They have done a good job of it, and they're very close to it, and they see it. Certainly proud of of what they have done. For the most part, we we have pretty much signs. I'm concerned the uh, White House about last year sometime had a, a group coming in, a committee to study, and they divided it into human antibiotics for humans and for animals. And some of our sponsors were there for the human part of it, and when they found out that there was nobody representing our points of view on the animal section, they uh, asked to be transferred over and were not allowed to go. Uh, there's another one starting now that's supposed to go on for about four years, I think. Uh, and again, we we were not able to get people who present our point of view, which is scientific, to the nth degree, if you look at the scientific groups that are supporting it. Absolutely. And, and they never really refute what we're saying. They just come up with some idea that they don't know enough. Yeah, right. Other countries know enough. European Union knows enough. Yeah. And people in hospitals facing uh, infections that can't be cured are pretty worried about it. Right. And if it's bad enough that, that we're getting almost every fast food chain to join us, why, even though the government will not do it, then they know enough as well. And I'm satisfied if the chains do it on their own and that we can prove that they've done it because all we want to do here is to protect the American public. Exactly. Yeah, there are tragic stories that have been told, as you mentioned, in documentaries about children who have died. Oh, yeah. And worse, you know, just being disabled for the rest of your life related to this infection. But I want to know if the CDC, the USDA, both of those organizations together can make an impact and move this bill forward. Of course they could. USDA could. I'm not sure CDC could do that. But there's one thing that we've been trying to learn. I hope to get a legal intern who can really go over it. But there was a case of Supreme Beef. I hope I'm doing that right. Supreme Beef, Supreme Beef. So anywhere it's in Texas. This was a case where the FDA, we wanted to shut down a meat plant because the uh, infections, the food poisoning occurring in uh, school children in part of Texas. And the food supplier went to court, and a judge granted an injunction so they couldn't close his plant. In my view, I don't know how that ever got started, but there's something inherently wrong with an agency that's supposed to affect your health and protect it can be stopped by a judge who probably knows nothing in the world about the issue. Yeah. So that's another thing as soon as I can... We can find spare time and maybe uh, a few people who volunteer to help us that we can really investigate that. Right. We've had some terrible outbreaks. You know, on the West Coast, they've been really awful. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned the West Coast, so California just passed legislation. They passed our bill. They did. I, I know it wasn't listed as our bill, but they really passed a bill that mirrors exactly what we want to do. Uh, we were so happy. We wrote the sponsor of the bill, and we wrote the, the Governor Brown and, and told him how happy we were with him. Absolutely. I hope other states will be doing the same thing. Yeah, but that leads us to this patchwork assemblage of bills, and certainly right. it would be more effective. It shouldn't be the state you live in, whether your food safety is 
Exactly. Exactly. So will it take a patchwork collection of states to make the food industry recognize that this is really inefficient and costly so that we do get national legislation? I don't know what it will take. If I knew that, I would do it. Yeah. Um, Because we've tried almost everything, logic, science. Obviously, we have all the statistics to prove it. And, you know, we mentioned a while ago about children dying. One of the most wonderful people I know is a woman who started a group called Super Moms Against Superbugs. This woman has a Ph.D. from Harvard in public health. And her, I think it was her 18-month-old son, healthy as could be, suddenly got ill and died of an infection that could not be controlled. Mm-hmm. And she's devoting herself to uh, helping us and, and trying to, as are so many groups, I do not want from lack of help, believe me. And just as I was talking, I was thinking, now the Bar Association, the state of New York is supporting me. Maybe I can get somebody there to help me look into that legal issue. What do you think? Well, I think we have to try everything we can. I wonder if we can take some of these legislators who consistently vote against this life-saving legislation. Honey, it's never been voted on. Uh, I mean, I, I, I've, we have made that case. It has never made it to the floor. Oh, my. But you mentioned that I did genetic non-discrimination, which is one of the most important bills we've ever done. Yes. You hear every day you're talking about cancer treatments and every other thing and where they do genetic testing, where they can do individualized medicine. They couldn't do any of that before we pass this legislation because people on the basis of their genetics were losing their job and their health insurance. Right. Now, the health care bill took care of a lot of the pre-existing conditions, but we people were afraid, women were afraid to be tested for the BRCA gene because they were afraid to lose their job. And doctors told them, wait till we get this passed. It took me 14 years because people thought we were talking about cloning. Right. President George W. Bush had said in the State of the Union speech that he would like to sign it, and he did sign it. But we worked, that that was the, in the circumstance in which Ted Kennedy said it was the first civil rights bill. Right. Dr. Francis Collins said that that bill was the equivalent of splitting the atom. But it mm-hmm. took all that time uh, just to get it to the floor. And uh, I was only able to get it onto the floor when Nancy Pelosi took over the House. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first things she did. She said, you've worked on this forever. We are going to pass this bill. And we did. And I couldn't even begin to contemplate what it's meant to people or, and will mean to them in the future. So I have to thank you for your perseverance. I think, you know, certainly that should come with the job description of being a legislator. Yeah. You've got to be patient. But I want Anger helps. Yeah, anger. That's right. Well, I yeah. I share that. Uh, the I know how important these drugs are, and mm-hmm. how can we ever put profit ahead of public health? I don't understand that. No. Well, what? No, it's it's not a pretty sight, and particularly when every other country is showing us up. Exactly. It's going to be a trade issue, I think. I I would see no earthly reason why a company countries that won't allow antibiotics overused in their food. Uh, would want to buy some from us and soaked in it. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned trade because I know that you've worked actively against the free trade agreements that would threaten U.S. manufacturing jobs. And I'm yes. wondering if these free trade agreements would also harm our ability to, um, like if another country would ban an import from us because our meat was raised with antibiotics. Well, 
it's worse than that. Any country in this agreement, there, um, Brunei and Malaysia are two of them. But any country, Vietnam, any country who believes that our legislation or regulations here uh, would affect their bottom line by trading with us can take a dispute against us before this dispute settlement group, which is composed of three corporate lawyers, basically, and would have to pay a huge penalty or change the law. And just on the strength of that, the House committee that was in charge of it gave up the country of uh, origin labeling. So it, it makes a big difference. In 98%, I'm told, of our seafood is imported. Mm-hmm. And very small single-figure percentage is even inspected. I appreciate all of the efforts that you've made on all of I these I hope farms. I haven't ruined your dinner. <laughs> Well, you know, that happened That happened probably a long time ago when I started to learn about how that sausage was made. But I do want to ask you something, and I think that all of our listeners are in tune with what's going on in the food mm-hmm. system. What can we tell them? Is it simply to contact your legislator, let them know that you want yes. this legislation? I think letting your congressperson know that you want them on that bill is terribly important, and your senators as well. To do that, if we can get 218 signatures in the House, which is a, 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 about half of the, the body, then we can take that bill to the floor. And if we do it, it would pass. When we finally got genetics on the floor, after 14 years of stalling, there were only three no votes against it. So it will pass. But that, absolutely, that's a very important thing they should do. And they should also let their grocery stores know uh, and any other group they can that does any work with food, that they're not going to buy that anymore. Mm-hmm. For people from my generation who remember what turkey and chicken and everything used to taste like, mm-hmm. it would be nice to have some of that again. Yes, it would. And I just want to mention that if anybody wants to learn more about this, would you have them go to your website at the house? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to recommend a specific site? I would if I could. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, the site of where you can learn more about Representative Louise Slaughter easy to find. is House. I'm sure my staff can tell you, Melinda. It's louise.house.gov, and you can read her okay. full biography and about this legislation and, right, and that's how easy. to get it. I should remember that. Yes. Well, louise.house.gov. Okay. Yes, that's how we'll get there, and you can read the whole okay. history. But let me just ask you to leave our listeners with a charge. Health is... It's the most priceless thing that we possess. And, and all of us know, and so many people are paying up exercise and running and eat, trying to eat proper food, but it's what you can't see sometimes that really will hurt you most. So for goodness sakes, be, follow us and help, get, help us get this done. Uh, it's not some unique thing we're trying to do or, or something out of hands. The fact of the matter is that the rest of the industrial world is catching on to it and taking care of business, and we had better before it's too late. Absolutely. Well, Representative Slaughter, I want to thank you again for all of your work. You're welcome. Representative Slaughter represents the 25th District in New York State. She is a champion of fair pay, public health. She works against free trade agreements that harm U.S. manufacturing jobs. She was awarded the Visionary for Women's Health Research Award and many more 
accolades for your work and your long time in the house. I want to well, thank well, Linda, I yes. do believe in trade. I understand that we live in an international world. That's right. We just haven't had fair trade. Exactly. Every every trade bill that I've ever seen hurts our manufacturers and our corporations, that's, our workers. That's exactly right. We want right. fair trade, not yes. free trade that exploits. Yes. Well, I want to thank you for being my guest representative slaughter. I want thank to th- you. thank you. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. <laughs>